Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. Have you always dreamed about becoming a best-selling author? Well, I can make that dream come true for you if you're interested in writing a chapter for my next compilation book, Transforming Pain into Purpose, Triumphant Tales of Empowerment. If you're interested in learning more about writing and contributing to this compilation book, I'll put my contact info in the show notes. Please feel free to send me a DM on Facebook, or you can reach out to me through Instagram to learn more about this incredible opportunity to become an international best-selling author. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Dawn McCarty. She is a cybersecurity specialist and international speaker and educator. Welcome, Dawn. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. How about you? I am doing wonderful. Thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today and share a little bit about your story and your journey and all of the things, Dawn, all the work you do. I am so happy to have you here and excited to jump in and explore. Okay. Well, thank you for, for having me. I'm happy to be here to, to share um, some vital information for your, for your guests. Excellent. So as mentioned, you are a cybersecurity specialist, an international speaker and educator, and you're also known as the queen of cyber. How long have you been working as a cybersecurity specialist on? Well, it's been about, in total, it's been about 20 years that I've been in information and, and cybersecurity. And it's always been a focus on securing something, securing an identity, access to something, to files and, and whatnot. So Overall, about 20 years in the industry. Okay. So you not only work with individuals in your business, but you also work with companies and training them on how to identify scams, cybersecurity awareness, data security, and a host of other things. Is this where your training started then in this field in working with companies focused on these particular areas? Well, it's kind of a mixture because, of course, you know, I started in the late 90s, I started working for corporate America right out of school. And I also had a lot of people saying, well, I don't know how to do this at home. So as I was working in the corporate America setting, I started doing some of these little side jobs, helping people figure out how to use Word, for example, because everything back then was new. We didn't have computers in the home prior to that. So they got the computer and then they didn't know what to do with it, which I was there myself. So my own story was I was a stay-at-home mom and I had small kids. And the only job that I could really do was working from home. Otherwise, I was going to be working to pay someone else to babysit my kids. So right. I had to come up with something. And I decided I was going to do medical billing. And I ordered a computer. And the guy came and set it up. And he, as he was setting it up, I picked up this round object, you know, with this long cord attached to it and I'm holding it up and I'm asking him, what is this? <laughs> and he says, well, that's your mouse. And I laughed. I'm like, okay, what? <laughs> I don't I've know got, what that I've means. Mouse? What? <laughs> I have no idea what that means because for six years I was out of the industry when I was working before I became a, a mom. I was working in DOS and we only had a keyboard. Right. We didn't have a mouse. <laughs> so we, now we're, we're working with computers that have rodents attached to it. That's what I thought. I'm like, whoa, okay. So he explained to me what that meant. And I was like, oh, I kind of like this thing. It, you know, I can get places a lot faster than that keyboard arrow up and down and tab over and all those, you know, keyboard tricks you had to do to get places. Yeah. So it did make life a little easier, but this guy was really irritated with the fact that I had no knowledge of a computer <laughs> when it came to Windows. And then to make him even matter, a couple of weeks had gone by and I was so lost. Where's all my stuff? I don't know what word processor I'm supposed to be using. You know, is it Word? Is it Corel? What are you? Because everything was installed. You right. had so many options and the, you know, your desktop was full of icons. So by the time I got done with it, I cleaned that all up. I moved stuff around. I put it in folders together. And I did what was called a brick. I bricked the computer, which means it won't boot. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I broke it. 
<laughs> and so I call this guy back and I'm like, your machine is trash. It's broken. It's not working. Can you please come and fix it? I didn't mm. say it like that, but you know, right. that's what I was thinking. When he came and he figured out what it was that I had done, this guy literally <laughs> cussed me out, like <laughs> cussed me out. And I was standing there. I'm looking at him. My eyes, I mean, I've never had anybody talk to me like that before. Right. And then my, I'm looking at my husband at the time and I'm like, are you, what? <laughs> talk to me like that. And I swore at that moment, I was never going to need someone to show me how to use a computer again. So I enrolled myself in school. And that's right. how I kind of got onto the path of initially started out just to want to learn how to use it right. and then showing people how to use theirs. And then the importance of securing things, you know, as I went forward in my corporate career. So there's how right. I got here. <laughs> <laughs> so you not only focus on those areas with corporate in cybersecurity, but you also focus a lot of your business on educating people on the dangers of things like cyberbullying and child predators. Yeah. What would you say is the space where you dedicate or spend most of your time in your business in educating around those things or more in the cybersecurity areas of identifying scams and data security and things like that? Well, I kind of have two personalities. I have the daytime personality where I'm the cybersecurity professional. Yeah. <laughs> and then I have the after hours personality okay. where it's all things my business and anything I can do to further that. So I have my own cybersecurity company, which is securing everything. Okay. And that is focused on bringing cybersecurity awareness to everyone. So I simplify cybersecurity for those that are not tech savvy. I don't train people how to become cybersecurity professionals or specialists. I just train them how to be safer online because okay. of all those hidden dangers. So in my business, I focus all of my attention on those kinds of things. And sometimes that includes a small business because it applies to people. I train the individual. And when I train at corporate America, which I did a huge campaign this year at one of the largest healthcare organizations in the world. And I presented nine different times on cybersecurity awareness. And I wow. held four webinars and I did a whole bunch of campaigns to show people how to protect their identity. And I went in there with the preface that I'm not here to train your employees because your employees know how to keep your data safe. Yeah. But that doesn't transfer to their home. They're only keeping your data safe. When they walk out the front doors of your business, that all stays. Yeah. But what we need to do is teach them how to be safer at home because that will transfer back to your business. When they understand the concept of protecting their data, they will then understand things will click when they're at work. So it does work better that way. So that's what we targeted is just training the individual. So it was not really corporate material as you would normally think it was. Mm -hmm. It was designed specifically to talk to that person who has work-life balance. They have to balance the safety of home and the concerns that they have at home as well, especially now that many of us are working or schooling from home. Yeah, for sure. Now you had just shared with us basically how you got into this world. And I also know through previous conversation with you that another part of that reasoning for getting into this world is some of your personal journey and story. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Sure. And this wasn't something that I figured out until you know, just a few years ago. And for me, my life has been an identity crisis. It, you right. know, it's, I had a very traumatic childhood. I had, you know, a lot of violence involved with it. And I was abandoned when I was really, really young and then later abducted by that same person when I was almost five years old. And then that took me into a world that wasn't reality for me. So I was removed from my real world and placed into a world that just didn't fit or I wasn't acclimated to. So I started off that world in an identity crisis and it was never something that I got help for or anything like that. So fast forward, my whole life has been about searching and seeking justice for things, protecting people, you know, always rooting for the underdog, wanting to protect children, wanting to make sure everybody's identity is intact. And identity goes further than your credit card. It's everything. So, you know, what you get in school grades, or if you get a degree in any kind of subject matter, you play in a band, all these things play into your identity because that's who you are as a person. So a lot of this kind of rolled up into how I protect people's identity. And I make them think about the data that they need to protect 
in those areas that are important to them. And that rolled right into the need to secure themselves and not just their identity, but also the devices, their social media, anything that they're doing online, their children who are now online, they carry that computer in their back pocket everywhere they go. So it kind of all came to a point where this epiphany hit me that my whole world has been about identity and securing it. So that's a really fast nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much for sharing that with us, Dawn. I appreciate that. Now, how would you say then these experiences have helped shape the Dawn you are today, both personally and professionally, do you think? Well, it's something that I lived every day and it, it gives me a unique perspective where I can see things that most people may not even look at or consider. I can tell how something's going to play out just because of the variables that are involved. You know, as a young child and the need of you know, being hypervigilant and always trying to protect my back, I learned how to read body language. I learned how to read facial expressions. I can tell if someone's mad or upset. All those things that I knew how to do, but I didn't know what it was called. I just knew I knew how to do it. And so now is when I went through my criminal justice degree, I got two degrees in criminal justice, started in about 2006, and then graduated with my MBA in 2020. But all of those things kind of helped play a role into what I learned in criminal justice, in crime scene and victimology and the forensic stuff. I was like, oh, this makes sense. Oh, I got this. And my thesis was actually on human trafficking and childhood abduction. Wow. Being somebody that was abducted as a child, I all of a sudden experience. Yeah. I was like, yeah, this makes sense. And then I found a group of people that were just like me and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one. And so the whole world opened for me and I got to listen to other people's stories and, you know, it was validating. It was like a community just kind of opened up for me. And before you knew it, my thesis was actually about myself. You must have felt some level of relief almost that like, I wasn't crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not (laughs) the only one. And this is very common. Now, how common is this? The type of abduction that I have? Yeah. Well, it's not very common. You know, I think according to the Department of Justice, less than 4% of kids are abducted in a high conflict divorce. So it's not a high percentage. It's it's too high, but it's not like, you know. Yeah, it's not through the roof. But however, abduction is abduction. And especially when nothing in that new world where you're taken is familiar to you. So I had a new bed, a new house, a new stepfather instantly, like overnight. You're thrown into a completely different world. Yeah. I had to like blink my eye and start hitting the ground running, living another life. And then I, not only did I have to do that, I had to learn how to protect myself and survive it. It must've been fucking terrifying Oh, as a a young kid. Yes, it was definitely. I mean, I think I lived in terror for up until my, I was in sixth grade. So for eight years, I was constantly trying to just survive the violence from, and most of it was from my stepsister. You know, she just beat me up all the time. She's, you know, bashed my head into the ground over and over again. And the last time she touched me, she strangled me and I was blacked out. And, you know, I think I was on my last breath when our parents pulled in the driveway and snapped her out of it. And when she dropped me, that was when I hit the ground. I think that's when I just sucked in air that saved my life. Yeah. So it was, yeah. Your whole world was upended completely. Definitely. I couldn't make sense of it. And all I wanted was to be rescued by my biological father. It's like, where is he? Because he was my source of security and love. Right. He was my sole provider and the world wasn't cruel. <laughs> did you feel hatred towards your mother for what she did? Oh, like on and victim. off. Yeah, on and off, especially for my healing journey kind yeah. of began. Yeah, I've hated my mom most of my life. Wow. You know, and it would come and go. Did you ever I, try and talk to her about it? Like when um, you were a kid, like, why are you doing this? Like, I mean... No, uh-uh. <laughs> okay. Okay. no, because, and, and I've, I've shared this before with people that she had different, and I'll, I'll just say moods because yeah. I'm not a doctor or psychologist. Yeah. I can't diagnose somebody and I don't like labeling people, but she had different moods that I had to determine on the fly. Who am I yeah. talking to? 
or you know what which mood am i dealing with so she doesn't have multiple personalities or did or anything like that but these personalities were so different she could twist on a dime so i had the gatekeeper who i'm scared to death of and then the princess who i really couldn't stand because she's very (laughs) high maintenance and it's like oh god (laughs) and then there's the 10 year old who is her arrested development type mood where she's fun loving we go to the movies we go to lunch we go shopping we have fun yeah and so as long as she was in that mood we did great the other two moods we didn't do so great so having that conversation with her hasn't been easy and a lot of times when i did start it as an adult she would make it about her somehow so it was more painful and it was frustrating to try to go there, although I did try. And I believe that I did get an apology, which is the best apology I'm ever, I think I'm ever going to get. And that yeah. just needs to be enough. I just need and- to know that, you know, this is all I'm going to get. So I'm not pursuing any, you know. Um, You're not chasing that. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm not chasing that. I'm What I'm doing now is I'm moving forward and trying to help others. Yeah. And try to bring something positive out of that negative world. So, And how is your relationship with her now? It's still estranged. We still don't have a lot of communication. And I think this is just part of who she is, which is something I had to learn. She never right. wanted to be the mom, which is why yeah. she left in the first place. And now that the family, because her... Her husband and my stepfather, you know, he's passed on. So now it's just back to she just likes her little world. She likes to live in her little bubble. And unless you're right there in front of her, like she doesn't call me. If I want to talk to her, I have to call her, which I go back and forth with. You can call me, damn it. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I I don't blame you. Yeah, but I, I try not to struggle with that because I've learned a lot about who she is. And I've studied a lot about the epigenetics So I have a better understanding today about why she did some of the things that she did. And although it doesn't take away the abuse and the, you know, the emotional and psychological abuse, the emotional neglect, it doesn't take a lot of that pain away, but it does give me understanding. And that understanding really does go a long way. Yeah, It really does. So we have to understand what was her world like when she was my age? And then what was her mother's world like? And I can draw this back almost five generations. It so doesn't it, excuse the behavior, though. No, it doesn't like, excuse you, the you behavior. You can't use that as an excuse. Well, I was brought up this way as a kid, so and my mother was brought up this way, so it's just this is just the way it is. Yeah, and most people like she doesn't realize that until I've been I've been kind of kind of dripping on her and right. letting her know, hey, you know, I've been studying epigenetics and I just realized that you know these things we have in common and I just realized that this happened to you too. Yeah. And so I've opened her up a little bit and yeah. she'll tell me more stories. And some of them I'm like, I don't know if I believe that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say was the biggest or most valuable takeaway or lesson for you through these experiences? The most valuable takeaway... That's a good question. I guess being resilient mm-hmm. and just not giving up on myself. And I don't know how I survived it, but I did. And I think with the understanding what happened to me as a child versus what I've learned what happened to me as a child versus my own experiences as far as education and, and security and wrapping that all together. We talk about carrying a lot of luggage or baggage or yeah. things like that. It's helped me not have to carry it. I can set that down now and I can let it stay. I know where it's at and I can always go and look at it, but I don't have to carry it with me every day. And I don't have to push it on others either by doing that. So yeah, I share the story, but I don't share the story to complain and say, oh, how awful. I share my story because there's somebody out there that's going to relate to me that can pick up even one little piece of what I say and that's going to matter to them. And it's going to mean something like it, you know, like for me, some of the things that I've heard in my healing journey helped me to want to heal. And that's the important part. For sure. What a great analogy though. I love it. Now you have a rather unique approach as an educator and something you created called the red flag training. Can you speak to us a little bit about that, what it's all about and how you implement that into your business and education methods? Yeah. So a lot of people say, well, what do you mean by red flag training? (laughs) Well, when you sense something is wrong, what do you call that? A red flag. It's a red flag. Warning. Yeah. Yeah. It's a warning. So I call it red flag training because it's exactly what it is, is paying attention 
to your red flags and not just dismissing them because, well, you know, I really want to talk to this person or I really want to use that application or that platform. I really want something so bad that I'm going to ignore my red flag because what happens when we ignore a red flag is we tend to get burned. So I want the red flag training to put red flags back up in the front where you're listening to yourself. Because a lot of times our information, our intuition, whatever you want to call it, is warning us about potential danger or, you know, something that could go wrong. You know, it could yeah. go wrong financially. I talk about online predators a lot. And most of the time I'm talking about child predators, but right. there's also financial predators. Yeah. There's dating predators. There's different types of predators. And so in all of those things, there's red flags. And I want to just remind people, what does a red flag really look like? So in my training, the things that I teach when we're talking about, like this week, I'm talking about sextortion. It's been in the news a lot. And the FBI is warning that it's on the rise uh, quite a bit. And right now, the warning is you know, most people don't think of boys being subject of sextortion. But right now, it's on the rise for young boys. So there's some red flags that lead up to that, that children don't recognize red flags. They're not developed enough in the frontal cortex to be able to make those types of decisions, you know, concerning their safety. There's a lot of things that they're, they're just not developed yet. And there's nothing you can do to fast forward that or, you know, make it come sooner. It's something that doesn't really develop fully until they're in their mid twenties. So what we have to do as parents and caregivers is we have to teach them what a red flag looks like. Okay. We have to teach them how to analyze a situation because although it doesn't come naturally for them until they're around 25, doesn't mean they can't learn how to detect a red flag. We just have to show them how to use some of those skills to do it. Yeah, they they need the sign the signs to look for and exactly. teach them that. Yeah. Yep, to be cautious. Yeah, for sure. You also developed a very strategic methodology called SAFE. Can you share with us what that is and how you implement that and how you came up with that methodology? Yeah, so let me I want to open this up real quick yeah. so I I've built this out a little bit. So SAFE really is an it's an acronym. So S is for securing your family okay. and A is for assessing those potential dangers. F is for friends and enemies or frenemies, you know, and, and who yeah. are you going to trust? Who is safe? We need a safe adults that children can go to. We need to let them know how to find a safe adult because we can't say stranger danger anymore no. because we're all talking to strangers right now. That's right. That's so right. we have to kind of give them a way to, okay, that's a mom with two kids. I'm sure she's safe. If they feel like they're in danger from someone following them, we give them a way to assess who's around them that they can go to. Okay. So that's what F stands for. And then E is to empower through communication. And that's teaching the family to come back and trust each other. So under each of those is another acronym. So for securing your family, I'm teaching you hope how to use the internet safely and how to bring that security to your children. And then assessing those potential dangers is warning you about those red flags. And then your frenemies is you're growing, you're learning about the roles of a groomer. What, what are they doing? And, and grooming is basically when a, an online predator is basically coercing a child into trusting them more than they may trust their families and to do things that they wouldn't want to do to ultimately meet in real life. And that's not good. And then the empowerment part is when we bring the family back into a trusting relationship so that they can communicate and they all participate in their family safety plan. Yeah. And so I teach families, you can't have that authoritative kind of parenting these days because children have way too much information at their fingertips. And if they're not getting what they want, from you, they'll go find it from someone else. Yeah. So we want to bring the parents in with the children to work together on the safety plan so that the kids understand that it's for their protection, not for their punishment. For, first of all, we can't take technology away from them because they're born into it. Yeah. 
So it's hard to take away their lifeline. That's how kids communicate today. So when you take that away from them, one, you do a couple of things. One is you take away their lifeline. Their peers are going to make fun of them. You make their life a little bit worse in that aspect. But then you, you also take away the ability to continue monitoring them. Well, I think they'll, there's a, there's they'll go a buy a healthy, burner phone. Yeah. But I think there's also boundaries around that in terms of limiting kids' mm -hmm. screen yeah. time and you whatnot. You can do other too. things. Yeah. Yeah. There's sure. other things you can do to, you know, instead of punishing them that way, because, you know, let's face it, we definitely need to set boundaries as parents instead yeah. of saying, well, you know, and I hear quite often, well, my kids know more about technology than I do. So how am I supposed to protect them? Which is one of the things that I, you know, have in my safe methodology is showing them exactly how they can do that so yeah. that they can have that conversation confidently with their kids and not feel like they're, t they're preaching to the choir because their kid already knows this. Yeah. So what I say is children and teenagers, they may be technology experts, but they are not security experts. Yeah. And that's where the parents come in. Or life experts. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And let, let's look at the other side of that too, where some parents, let's be honest, use technology and these tools as babysitters. Oh, yeah. Right? Yes. That's definitely. another problem. That's a whole other issue. And you can liken that to when the TV came in. Well, parents yeah. are using the TV to babysit their kids. Yes. But the TV was one screen with nobody on the other side of it. <laughs> That's right. We have monitors now that open up to the world. So For it's sure. way different. And the security there is, is definitely greater. The need is greater. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very curious. You're known as the Cyber Queen. How did you get that title and who gave it to you? Oh my gosh. I had no idea, but it just kind of exploded in 2020 because <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to my, you know, my friends and my peers through, you know, in, in coaching groups and, you know, people that I was talking to and they knew that if, if they said something like that in front of me, that I was going to tell them what they needed to do differently. Right. And so eventually they just say, well, let's talk to the queen of cyber. And they started introducing <laughs> me as the queen of cyber. So, you know, I guess because <laughs> I live and breathe it and I'm always talking security, even to people that are not in cyber security. So I, tr I try not to use the language of cybersecurity because that's me talking from my head. Yeah. And right now, you know, when I'm talking to individuals, I need to speak from my heart. Yeah. And that is you know, cyber safety, online safety, keeping your kids safe online. So I've I've been having to kind of work through that kind of <laughs> adaptation and and how I'm delivering and talking to layman's people. terms. As and then say. that's when they said, "Well, you're like the queen of cyber," because I had never thought of that. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Obviously, there's been a dramatic increase in the perpetration of cyber crimes from when you first got into the industry compared to now. Oh yes. What would you say are the three? most common types of cybercrime being perpetrated these days? Well, for corporate, I would say it's ransomware, phishing, and data breaches. Mm -hmm. And all of those kind of play into each other, you know, and they kind of lead in. The ransomware and phishing lead into ransomware. Right. Then when you're talking about individuals, you know, or, or even small businesses, we can talk about social engineering, which is you know, people just want to try and take proprietary information. or And the same can go for corporate America as well. Yeah. And then on the individual level, you got to look at the adult and their danger is not having any kind of security online for their social media. So they have a financial risk because yeah. they're putting their credit card number in everything. They're checking that box. Yep. Say this for future payments. They're not reading the terms and conditions and that kind of stuff. They're also victim or subject to phishing campaigns and it you know these emails are getting so good yeah. at targeting you personally they may have done a little bit of research about you and they know what you like so they make it look so real and so enticing that even the best of us you know can fall for it yeah. so nobody's immune to this whatsoever not even the professionals so i mean they're even doing it through text messages too yep Text message has exploded for the youth. So especially for, you know, the millennials and the, the younger groups, text messaging is what they do. That's how they yeah. communicate. So people are sending links left and right and we're clicking on them. But that click, one click is really all it takes for your phone to be totally controlled by a bad actor. 
yeah. or a bad guy. So there's a lot of answers to that one little question. The that's three common. Scary. That's scary. That's yeah. really scary. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like an incredibly massive uphill battle to try and combat these types of crimes. I mean, it's like the criminals and people who are, are doing these things are getting smarter and smarter. The technologies they're using to commit the crimes are continually advancing at such a huge pace. I mean, let's be honest, technology advances at a breakneck pace. It's got to be incredibly hard to stay ahead of the curve with this. So how do we as consumers, as parents, etc., stay on top of it all and protect ourselves, our data, our children, all of these things? This is the hardest part of what I do because in corporate America, I'm just barely a step ahead of criminals you know, these yeah. bad actors. And it's really hard because they're learning technology as fast as I am. Right. And there's a shortage of cybersecurity professionals and there's a an onset or an increase of these bad actors. So we're fighting uphill for sure, like you said. And when it comes to the individual person, I can't train people fast enough. I can't yeah. get out there long enough. I, you know, I have to do my day job at the moment until I can transition full time. So there needs to be more time and more people that are willing to start sharing their knowledge. And one of the things that I've said early on is cybersecurity has been the best kept secret from the public for too long now. We really did a disservice by not sharing some of the fundamentals. Now, we don't want to share everything because that gives us an edge to protect but at the same time, we didn't share that information with you know the average person. So they had no protection right. and no knowledge. So that's where I'm coming in to try and even that score up and get this knowledge available so people can learn those fundamentals. They don't have to become cybersecurity professionals. They just need access to one. What are a couple of tips or takeaways that listeners can implement immediately to help in protecting ourselves and our kids? Yeah, this is a good question. I could probably talk for hours about it, but take an assessment of all of your devices, your social media accounts, your passwords, make sure you have parental controls in place and start securing everything. So for families with kids under 18, devices should not be in their rooms, for example. Kids need to sleep at night, not scroll at night. So because this is where a lot of the danger occurs is when parents are sleeping They need to really have a a rule in that family safety plan that there's no devices in their rooms at night. That's the charging time. That's when your phones charge. You don't need to touch it while you're supposed to be sleeping. If it's an emergency, they can call the phone that somebody in the house could hear, but you don't need your cell phone right next to you. So there's some things there. You should, you know, have access to your kids' accounts. Make sure you can log in. If anything were to happen, a lot of times we hear that for kids that have gone missing or even some that have worse situations where they're no longer with us, the parents aren't able to provide the data from their cell phone because they didn't know the password. And that's essential for an investigation. It could really help speed up the time it is to catch the perpetrator or the suspect if something were to go wrong or if there was anything that led up to an episode or an event for a child. How do we provide that information so that we can solve that crime? So it's really important to have it. So my motto is that, again, Kids are technology experts, but they're not security experts. So we've we've got to be the security arm for them. Okay. Don, what lights you up or inspires you the most about the work that you do? Well, this is a good one because I love the aha moments and I love it when I can see it on someone's face. So when their light bulb goes off in their head and it clicks, you know, that what I'm sharing with them, that they're just, they're realizing, oh my gosh, that is just like, I'm on fire. (laughs) So, and it doesn't happen until we've talked about what scares them the most. And a a lot of times when you're coaching people, you're not supposed to terrorize them, right? But I do have to use a certain element of fear in order to really push the reasons why we have to start doing more or securing our children. 
to get them there. So when I see those clicks, I know that's happening. And hmm. so it, you're just, I try not to terrorize just inform enough. And some of the stories I share, even my own stories, it is traumatizing and terrorizing to some extent, but I promise I always bring it out with something positive. So I have a 70, 20, 10 rule. That's, you know, the 80, 20 rule. Mine's the 70, 20, 10. So 70% of what I do is, is storytelling and sharing information. So I'm speaking from my heart. 20% of what I share is technical. So that's from my head. And then 10% is the fear, but that provides them with that ability to be the hero in their child's world. So that has to be part of it. And it's not that they're only 10% hero. It's that I have to use that piece in my work. I have to include that so that there is a win when it comes out. It drives the point home too. I Mm -hmm. think when you, when you add a little bit of fear, there's nothing wrong with a bit of fear in it. I think it just helps illustrate the point even stronger. Yes. Yeah, definitely does. What would you say then on the flip side is the one of the most challenging parts of the work that you do? Oh, getting people to realize that everybody needs to know cybersecurity, or like I said, that's a taboo word in a lot of people's minds. They think corporate America, as soon as they hear it, so they tune yeah, out. Yeah. So I, you know, we can use online safety or, you know, whatever works for that particular person. So it's less intimidating. So I need people to not tune out. I need them to to hear what they need to know about being safer because cybersecurity is associated with corporate America, but everybody's data needs to be protected and it's everyone's right to know how to protect it. Right. So it's, you know, everyone has the right, right. And the responsibility. And we often say everybody's responsible well, yeah, but then you're going to have to try and teach them how to be responsible. <laughs> so that's what I do. So I break down these beliefs because technically everyone does need to know how to refer to the best practices, what I call the best kept secrets for being safer online. So by making cyber simple, I teach them without using the word cyber. And before they know it, they learned a little bit of cybersecurity so they can be the cyber safety specialist in their home without having to be an industry, you know, professional. Yeah. I love it. Don to date, what would you say is your biggest high or your greatest win? Oh, because I defied the odds (laughs) surviving life (laughs) and being here today is my greatest win. So if I let the darkness of my childhood win, then I wouldn't be here today, but there's, you know, you hear people say often that when you're broken or traumatized, there's no fixing you, but I'm here to defy that and to say, no, we, we don't have to accept that. Bad things may have happened to us, but it's not an incurable disease. Yeah. We can overcome trauma. And so by not letting those dark moments in our, in our world, everybody has them to some extent, to hold us back, we have to release and let that go. So I think by defying what most people would say, that how did you even get over that? is probably my greatest win because I didn't let it keep me down. I don't think anybody's broken or damaged. I think it's just everybody's gone through struggles. That's what it is. I don't think, I don't like using those words. I don't think those words are appropriate. I agree. For describing that because then that just puts that belief onto that person. Yeah, you're setting a mindset, but don't bother. And I think that if someone had the right tools and had the right support and the right, and they need validation, yeah. They need to be believed. That's huge. For so sure. when they're not being heard, they feel invisible. Then they don't do what they need to do to grow in, out of that particular situation. That's right. That's right. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? What was your life like mm-hmm. after you learned it? Here's this identity piece here. So who I really am. So it's taken me until my late 40s to really unravel the identity crisis that I suffered with as a child. So I never knew that I was in a crisis. And so when I responded or reacted to things, let's face it, I reacted to things. I was the hurricane. (laughs) (laughs) I was either timid and went into my shell because I was crushed or hurt so bad, or I was angry and just full on hurricane. So there was like the mediocre part of that. Yeah, there was two speeds. (laughs) High and low. (laughs) So the hurricanes and you know, it's one of my other nicknames. (laughs) But I can see now, you know, working with the right tools and modifying my reactions, learning how to respond and how to deal with conflict has been a, a game changer. So I really think that now 
I'm the closest to being my authentic self today than I've been in, you know, the last five decades. Good for you, Donna. I mean, I'm sure it's been a hell of a journey and, uh, but you, you're, you've come out the other side and you're helping other people as a result of what you've been through, which is just magical in my opinion. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it, it is a lot of work, but I'll tell you, it is the most rewarding work I've ever done next yes. to having my sons. And that is work, but it's a different kind of work. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Don, who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? Oh, right off the bat, I'll say my father, you know, and I reconnected with him in 2016, finally. So after 44 years, we finally found each other again. And, you know, being back in my life and learning, he was the one that helped me learn who I was. You know, he was the one that had baby pictures of me, for example. I never saw a baby picture of myself until I reconnected with him. It's like Holy I only existed shit. from the age of five on because there was no evidence of me before that. So he kept things that you know, just meant the world to me, like little gifts that he held on to for those 44 years. And so he reminded me of who I was. So today I embody that with the, the need for security. And although he's not here to guide me personally, physically, you know, as I lost him in 2018. So we only had two short years together, but he's always in my mind. And I still imagine today, what would he tell me? Because as a kid, I remember thinking, what would my father say? So I tried mm. to imagine a father figure, yeah. <laughs> so to speak. And I, you know, I tried to imagine that it was, it was him instead of the stepfather that I had. So I think I still kind of do that. I still kind of imagine what would my father say? What would he do? What would he like? And I feel like he's here with me at times helping me build this business. I'm so sure he is. And I think I, no I get doubt. guidance from him. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is incredible. You're incredibly resilient and so inspirational, Don. I think, you know, it, it's absolutely phenomenal oh. what you have been through and how you've come out the other side and what your mindset and you, the way you look at things, your viewpoint, I think it's absolutely inspiring and incredible. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. It's taking a lot of work, but I'm glad I'm here. <laughs> what is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? You know, again, I'll, I think I'll tap into the, the my father there because I felt like I was never going to see him again. And maybe I wasn't ever intended to, but having that little glimpse, that little two-year period is the unexpected blessing that I had the fortune to get to know him for a brief time so I could learn about myself and who I was and the things that I needed to know that would help me remedy the questions I had internally in my heart, my soul. And, you know, those, those holes in my heart were filled in after our brief moment together. So I think that was the biggest unexpected blessing that I could so have you had. Got, you got a lot of those answers you were looking for? Absolutely. And, uh, oh, and you can't get those kind of answers anywhere else. No, exactly. It was only him that could help me yeah. fill in those gaps. Yep. Well, I'm very glad to hear that you got the answers you were looking for. Yeah. What does the best version of you look like when you close your eyes and imagine it? Bold, unstoppable, <laughs> uninhibited, and eloquent. I would, say <laughs> fucking, I would say resilient. <laughs> resilient. Resil and definitely I'm, I'm very tenacious, <laughs> but I think these words are what I want to make sure I'm always striving for. And eloquence is the ability to just say what I need to say. And it makes sense because sometimes yeah. I don't feel like I do, <laughs> you know, and I know that sometimes I'm talking from my head and people are looking at me like, I don't know what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> I have to learn that, but I would love to be able to just open my mouth and have something so eloquent come out that it was so profound and you got what I said and you went and you actually did it, took action. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I worry about that, especially when it comes to traumatizing my clients by the things that they fear most by, or by me sharing my story and it sets off a trigger in them. So, you know, I'm, I constantly have to warn people when I share my story that it could be traumatizing. Yeah. So I have to talk my way through that. And I would love to just have that ability just to open my mouth and speak magic. So that would probably be the best version of me. Okay. <laughs> what do you see as your greatest accomplishment? 
Uh, I'm going to bore you guys, but I'm going to go back to my father again, because it did lead to finding myself. So, you know, when you don't know exactly who you are, you don't know what your potential is. And without that piece, you know, what can you possibly do? What is your purpose? You don't know what that purpose is. So he was actually the key to opening that up. And I may not have ever been meant to reconnect with him, who knows, but you know, that little part, that was the key component to it. So the opportunity to have him for that short period of time was that helped me unlock that padlock to my purpose. So I felt like it was locked up somewhere and I just couldn't find it. I couldn't access it. I couldn't open it. So, you know, wondering for decades, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? You know, it would have never been revealed to me. So that's the exact reason I think you were meant to connect with your father because you got the answers you wanted and you found your purpose. So I think, yes, you definitely were meant to. I don't think there's any such thing as coincidence. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah, it does seem like it's part of that grand design. And I never put much thought into that, but I couldn't have recreated this a different way. So I feel like it was part of the grand design of things. I think so, for sure. What does the word empowerment mean to you? Oh, well, in many ways, I feel like I've always been empowered. I just didn't know it. (laughs) The embedded resilience, I think, is what empowers me. So I must have been born with some component of it because it's always been there. And I think that's why I survived. So resilience empowers me to keep going and to get back up when I've been knocked down because staying down was dangerous for me, you know, staying in in that space. So I couldn't be there for long. So in order for me to empower others to do what, you know, what I'm teaching them to do. I needed to have that resilience and feel my own empowerment. And sometimes I didn't feel empowered. Mm. (laughs) Sometimes I felt like I was just spinning in circles, but all along, I think empowerment has always been there with me. What aspect of your personality do you think has been most helpful in your career? Well, I think there's three things that attribute to that in the, you know, beyond resilience, but tenacity, adaptability, and clear declarations. So I, I don't typically set goals. I declare things. Okay. <laughs> I put them out there and like, I want rather than I will. So goals to me is more of an I want. And I want to say what it is that I am going to do. I will do this. I will be that. And I don't know how, but it just kind of, here's an example. When I started in cybersecurity, I, I told myself, well, you know, I'll feel like I am successful as a cybersecurity professional, if I work for a major corporation. So I I did, I worked for a fortune 500 and I thought that was great. I'm, I finally made it. And then I thought, well, but I'd really feel, you know, even more successful if I could work for like the federal government or something like that. And so I did, I ended up working with the department of energy. I worked for IBM for a little while. Uh And then I just, you know, I just kept upping it. It's like, I'm going to be this. And you know, and here recently I set out saying, I am going to create a program that hasn't been done anywhere else. And I'm going to implement that into, and this one is, you know, I have two sides of this. One is for individuals and one is in corporate America. So I have these two things going on and it actually took place. So making that declaration to me, is far more powerful than yeah. just setting a goal. Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions will just be two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. Okay. What is your favorite self-care practice? Right now, the heating pad. (laughs) (laughs) At what time of day do you get your best work done? Uh, Mornings. What is your biggest fear? That I won't reach enough people. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Teaching parents how to keep their kids safe so they can thrive. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Keeping children safer online. If you're writing your autobiography, what would the title be? Keeping People Safe Online is going to be one of one of those books autobi- and how I got there, how I yeah. went through my mouse story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> how would you describe yourself in one word? Resilient. And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> okay. What's something surprising you've learned about yourself in the last year? You know, I'm going to say imposter syndrome because it's so common, especially among women in technology or cybersecurity. 
you know, and, and there's times that I wonder if I have what it takes to be as good as I need to be. Am I as good as they are? Am, you know, am I worthy of this position or this role or that job? And, and I've been worried about feeling like an imposter until I realized that I didn't survive life to feel like I'm not smart or good enough <laughs> to do what I do. So the imposter was not a breaking and entering kind of situation. Like it didn't just like force its way into me. There was no forced entry yeah. <laughs> It was created internally. It's something we create in our minds and we think that other people may not be thinking that we end up doing that to ourselves in many cases. So no one has told me that I'm an imposter. So I needed to separate that feeling from my authentic self because allowing that to, you know, to stay meant that I was allowing myself to live as an imposter. So I needed to get rid of the imposter. That's a great way to look at it. That's a very different viewpoint. I've never heard that one before. <laughs> I've been thinking about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> what is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their lives? That's the dreams and goals. And declaring them rather than waiting for them to, to come. Yeah. So setting a goal, it allows you to dream and work mm -hmm. towards it, but declaring it sets your brain on that path to achieve whatever it takes to get. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Ooh, I'm going to be selfish here. <laughs> I'm going to talk to my inner child and my little girl who was so hurt, but has been evolving as I've been evolving. So are we in sync now? Are there still things I need to work on? Only she would know that. So, you know, and although I, I you know, speak to that silently, I speak, you know, to myself. Some, I talk to myself quite often, actually. So to be honest, but mm -hmm. to have a real conversation would be enlightening. That is an incredible answer. I love it. If you could go back, Dawn, and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Oh, don't lose your voice. Don't let them silence you or your emotions. Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Like to be legendary? <laughs> I'd probably use a statement that would leave a lasting impression. So I'd ask, what does Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, and Don McCarty have in common? So Steve Jobs wanted to put a thousand songs in your shirt pocket. Bill Gates wanted to put a computer in every home. And Don McCarty showed people how to protect those devices that those two pioneers created. That is powerful. Wow. Thank you so very much, Don, for taking the time to sit and share with me today and share your journey and your triumphant struggles and what you've been through and you are an incredibly resilient and inspiring woman with what you have been through and come out the other side and are now doing to help others so that they don't have to go through similar experiences that you did so thank you so very much for being here with me today and sharing that and i'm honored to have you as a member of the empower empowerography community Oh, absolutely. I'm so glad to be here and be with other people that are also empowering and, and surrounding myself with people that are also inspiring and, and being able to share in a way that is helpful and to turn something negative into something very positive. So thank you for the opportunity to share that story. My pleasure. Keep shining your bright, beautiful light on the world, Dawn, and doing all the incredible work that you're doing. I think it's amazing. Truly, you should be very proud of yourself. Oh, thank you. I sure will. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Dawn McCarty. She is a cybersecurity specialist, an international speaker, and an educator. Thanks so much, Dawn. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.